We're going to read together uh, from Luke chapter 4. It's been part of our series that we're pursuing in the evening. And we come now to the temptation of Jesus. It's page 1030 in your Bible. The temptation of Jesus. We're looking at these first 13 verses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, the literal meaning is, because you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Amen. And I'm sure the Lord will bless his word to us. Jesus tested or tempted but sinless. And these opening verses of Luke chapter 4 contain what must surely be some of the most remarkable in the whole of the New Testament. And yet with the brevity of language, less than or approximately 200 words in length, it records this Direct confrontation between Jesus and the devil. A great deal has been said, a great deal has been expressed and written about it. Perhaps one of the greatest lessons that comes across in the opening verses, and it's not so obvious, I suppose, is where we were told that Jesus, who is full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the desert and was tempted severely. So it does not mean that he is living substandard spirituality when temptation comes. 
And this has parallel lessons for us uh, here tonight. So, as we approach uh, these 13 verses, I would like us to try to answer two questions. Uh, Theologians have had much discussion uh, about this. But here's the first. Is the devil real? Is the devil real? Is he a real person? Now, there are two extremes. There are some people who are constantly preoccupied about the devil, and it it can become an oppressive thing. Or, there are some people, if ever they make any mistakes, they say, oh, the devil made me do that, that sort of thing. Whereas the other, some people never even consider the devil at all. They just say it's bad luck, circumstance, just, just one of those things. Well, is the devil a real person? Well, you can't help but make an observation here from the experience of Jesus that clearly he was. Verses 1 to 3 gives us this head-on confrontation. The media, perhaps, or films or literature conveys the idea of the devil as um, some uh, as a joke or, or a benign imp, or the old Nick, some people used to say. Somebody, a, a caricature with horns and a tail. Yet the Bible would cut across that and say that the devil can be an angel of light. The devil can be a roaring lion devouring its prey. Or the devil can be the ruler of this world. And Jesus himself said lots of things, but one says that he is the father of lies. He gives birth to lies. It's quite a serious thing. So from the perspective of Jesus, certainly he took him seriously, and I suggest that we should. But allow for those parameters where some neither, never think of him ever, and others perhaps are too preoccupied. And we need somehow the, the, the balance and the rhythm of Scripture. So as you come to uh, verse 1, you'll see, uh, first of all, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and he, he returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Now I would suggest to you, you cannot see the Holy Spirit. And you cannot see the devil. Verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The fact that you can't see doesn't mean in and of itself that these powerful forces do not exist. However, you can often see the sinister impact on people's lives in given situations. And sometimes you have to say, this is not God's doing. This is the devil's work. Secondly, and this raises lots of theological discussion, and it's this, is Jesus' temptation real? I mean, after all, he is the holy sinless 
Son of God? Is, is it just symbolic? Is it just to illustrate the, the difficulties that Christians will face? Well, no. This is real. This is real. And I think this is important, as we shall see, because we have a sympathizing Savior. He is a saving Lord. And he understands our temptation. To sympathize for us, Christ was fully exposed to the sinister temptations of the devil. And yet at the same time, to save us, he overcame and was sinless. Now much debate on these polarized uh, thinking has taken place. It's interesting, and if you turn to 1 John, it's right at, almost at the end of, of your Bible, if you go to the book of Revelation and work back, you come to 1 John. If you're using the church Bibles, it's page 1226. So to use a, a little illustration, now years later, where John, writing to the church, makes some of these parallel um, connections with the temptation of Jesus. So we're comparing now and contrasting, as we shall see in Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13, reflected by 1 John 2, verse 16. Just the one verse, no more than that. Let's try to make this, make this connection. And I think this is quite helpful. So 1 John 2, verse 16, reads, For everything in the world, one of these great summing up verses, everything in the world, and he highlights three, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, just think about those for a moment. Take the craving of this sinful nature. How many of us have ever experienced deep hunger? If you've ever made a, a pact with, with the Lord that you are going to um, fast, for instance... It's quite a discipline. And the more you try to forget about the fact that you've gone five hours, ten hours, a day, is quite something. No one's saying that in and of itself it's wrong. But you think how some people think of the blight in the Western world where obesity is such a, such a terrible problem. And are pe people feeding an inner hunger that will never be satisfied? And whilst it has physical implications, so there are other psychological things. So there it is. The, the craving of the sinful nature stones into bread, head on. Then, the second, which you have, verse 16 of 1 John 2, lust of the eyes, the kingdoms of the world, the kudos of what we can have, what people might think about us. And then the boasting of what he does. Jump from the pinnacle of the temple. And by the way, you are God. 
And all you need to say to your father is, look, I'm going to do this. Let your angels guard me and don't strike your foot against a stone. The devil quotes Psalm 91 that we sung. So I would suggest to you, just try to think about that. Yes, the devil is real and Jesus' temptation is real. Okay. With that in mind, let's come down to the more practicalities then and just try to see uh, what we mean by these, um, these temptations. And we look at them uh, in varying ways. First of all, we, I w- would like to say this, that the first tests are uh, diverse, or they were diverse as they happened to Jesus. Come back to Luke chapter 4, and you will see that the devil switched his point of attack. Just think about this. Don't you think too much in the detail, but just try to see and compare and contrast your own experience. Firstly, there was this prolonged, unspecified and uninterrupted assaults, as you have it there in verse 2. And what does the devil do? He tries to capitalize on this physical weakness. You go without food for a long time, and you're going to be physically weak. The basic thing here is this. Jesus was hungry in as much as you and I would be. And then immediately there's a switch. He attempted the predictable avenue of pride. See verses 5 to 7. And then finally, he tempts Jesus to misuse his unique relationship with the Father. And this is very much the way we think oftentimes. What's the context? Well, look, um, the devil suggests to Jesus, just uh, stretch God's promises to cover a mild misdemeanor. I mean, and anyway, doesn't the Bible say he'll guard you and protect you and you won't cast your foot against a stone. Surely that's a lesson to us that uh, the devil has the audacity to use the Bible. If, if the Bible will do to tempt you instead of pornography, well, why use it? Use the Bible. It's diverse. Another thing about this whole area here, secondly, is this series of tests, we look at them from a different perspective, is that they're deceptive by their very nature. As you look through these familiar temptations again, notice how attractive they all are. By yielding to the first, Jesus could have ended the pangs of hunger. And after all, what's wrong with that? By yielding to the second, Jesus could have set up an immediate kingdom. Think how wonderful that would be. How impressive. And by yielding to the third, Jesus could have become a a superstar overnight. Wouldn't you want to be like that? The thing about the very nature of temptations is this. Temptation always promises more than it produces. Always. Yes, 
there are pleasures in sin. For sure. But they are never that satisfying. A good cross-reference here would be, do you remember the experience and, <laughs> of, of, of Moses with Egypt, one of the seventh wonders of the world. And from a human point of view, turn to the book of Hebrews 11 and 25. This is quite extraordinary, really, when we think of it and try to make some sort of connection and comparison to where we are tonight. Think of Moses. Hebrews 11, 24. By faith. In other words, he didn't know what the outcome would be. That's the whole point. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, isn't he mad? Think of all the, the glory, the splendor of such a civilized culture to swap that with a ragbag of whinging people. Jews. I mean, come on. Here is Moses refusing the best and embracing the worst. And what's his observation? Verse 25, he chose to be ill-treated with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He had a long view, and we need a long view, of temptation. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And so on. That's a, that's a wonderful illustration, really. Just think about that. Yes, there are pleasures of sin beyond question. And Moses admits that openly. But they're never that satisfying long term. The devil gives a little with one hand and takes everything with the other. So these temptations were diverse, they're quite different, they were deceptive, and thank God they were defeated. But let me pause for a moment. Uh, I brought a cigar into the pulpit. And um, I always keep this to remind myself, actually, where's Lionel? Yeah, we were on the walk yesterday and he and I were confessing that in our, the folly of our youth we were smokers. A lot of people did in those days, and that wasn't very... Anyway, um, if you've been to a Spanish wedding, a Christian Spanish wedding, no less, all the men get a cigar. Well, I've had this now since uh, the year 2000. That's nearly 12 12 years ago, 11 years ago. And um, I keep it to remind me that um, this has no temptation on me whatsoever. It used to, but it's lost its sting. Trust me, if I, I, if I isn't there for another 20 years, it's probably not very good now anyway because it's been around too long. Although it is still sealed. In other words, temptation is relative to what you're tempted with. Now, I don't know. Maybe you would be tempted by this. What your temptation, it may well be different to mine. And sometimes we can be very unsympathetic to people who fall on some obvious sin when we think, 
I can't believe. You, you, you have people say that. He would do such a thing. Can't you? Well, these temptations are diverse and they're deceptive, but they were defeated. And often in our lives, they're not. And this is again the example of the Lord Jesus. But there's just one word of caution, and it's this. And it's a salutary word as well. Jesus, as we know, had successfully resisted the onslaught in all sorts of directions. However, there is this little comment that is recorded in verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, that's the point. He left Jesus until an opportune time. An opportune time. And he might leave us when we're off our guard for an opportune time. One of the things that surprises me pastorally, you know, and I've seen this and it's ve- it, it, it troubles me, is this, that some very lovely Christian people who have served the Lord, have been prayerful, sacrificial in their giving of money and time and helpful, that in old age they have had cause to question They've lost their assurance. Some of the most godly, lovely people you would ever want. And you say, how can you think like that? And the devil is perverse. That he would almost say, well, if I can't rob you of your salvation, I'll destroy your assurance. That's what he's like. That's what he's like. And he leaves us for an opportune time. Think of people often who are Confused in mind, we call it dementia or what have you, in that sort of twilight zone. So this victory over temptation is possible. It is possible, but just remember, he will only leave us until an opportune time. Let's come with some practical conclusions about this. Number one. When we are weak, don't be surprised. Maybe we've gone through a trauma, perhaps physical surgery, or a bereavement, or we've got a good Christian friend who has a leader whom we looked up to, who has failed morally or something like that. And we are weak. We think and we question. Don't be surprised. In other words, brace yourself. When you're physically and emotionally drained, for example... um, Last year, Neil went skiing. I'm sure you don't mind me using this illustration. And Neil has a a back that can play up from time to time. That's why he's not playing me at tennis at the moment. And I said to Neil, if you go skiing, wear a corset. Now, it's it's not a, you know, it's one of those belts that you put round. In other words, when he goes skiing, you've got something round you, you, you brace yourself. You anticipate these movements. You're ready for it. 
Or, I have tennis elbow and I use one of these things here which the vibration stops there instead of hitting you there. I brace myself. It's a weakness. I face the weakness. I anticipate it. And it doesn't catch me unawares. Now you can apply that in all sorts of ways. When you're weak, don't be surprised. Number two, when you resist, expect a different approach. The devil can use good people to say bad things. And if the devil can get a disciple to do it, all the better than an obvious sinner. Turn to a classic example. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Just to, just to see how embarrassing is this. You'd wonder if somebody spoke to you like this, would you be offended? Matthew 16 and verse 22. Jesus is giving his manifesto to establish his kingdom on earth. And Peter's not very impressed at all. And so he interrupts him. Verse 22. Peter took him aside. Maybe held his hand and pulled him aside. It would imply something physical. And began to rebuke him. That's the disciple. Who on the day of Pentecost will be filled with the Spirit. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. How impressive is that? Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Ah, if the devil can use an apostle all to the good. And lastly, when the devil leaves, when the temptation eases off, stay alert, stay alert. The devil can use people pressure big time. We call it peer pressure. It's people pressure. And we might think, oh yes, the young people, they're prone to that. No, they're not. No more than we are. People pressure. And what can people pressure do to us is cause us to deny the Lord and deny our faith. Turn to this last, uh, oh, nearly the last, uh, Luke 22. Just, just see this. Again, we'll stick to Peter uh, because um, he illustrates it best. Now, you would have thought with that previous rebuke, you know, he's going to learn now. He's, that's, that's a bi- that was a big learning curve for him. He knows now, you know. Uh, but we're not like that, are we? When you, Luke 22... And verse 31. There it is again. How strange. You say, wait a minute, I've overcome that temptation. That's behind me now. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And what a wonderful thing from temptation is that the Lord can use a weakness and turn it into a strength. I'm indebted to people who helped me when I became a Christian to encourage me to um, memorize scripture. And one of the first um, verses that I memorized is the one that now is going to come up in front of you as we close. There it is. I think this is a great verse for all of us. Or a young Christian setting out in life. Or the most mature, godly Christian breathing his or her last. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. Now, you need to take a deep breath at this because... Some temptations are fierce. I was talking to the, the, uh, these young folk uh, here this morning, um, Tom and Catherine, who went to Craig's funeral service. What a massive temptation that is. And what a big learning curve that's going to be for Craig's parents. How do you explain? How do you understand? How do you accept? Here he is. A gifted sportsman, giving his time to the academy, wanting to think about his future and having that fatal accident. Think of his parents tonight. I wouldn't want to be glib about this. I would still want to say this with sensitivity. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And we have to say, as Christian people, there's more to life than just this. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor the heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus is our sympathizing Savior. And he understands our temptations as much, if not more, than we do. And surely, surely, we can trust him.